we have the power of um, audio editing magic. So really, the podcast starts uh, whenever it actually you know bothers to start. Jason's J- Jason, why are you making like no signals? Like we have to cut all this. No, I don't give a fuck. We can this do whatever. This is gonna be the intro now. Perfect. Before the theme music, this is gonna be the intro where everyone has to listen to how awkward we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dear listeners my name is alex what the f- hi i'm jason <laughs> jason does not think of you as dear listeners everyone know that i i respect our listeners but apparently jason does not hold you in his heart like i do i would say fake news but i feel like this is the wrong time to say that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this this where for everyone who was we record these like way ahead of time this is um this is January 9th, so imagine the spot that you were in on January 9th, and that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. Insurrection! Anyways, um, Phil and Cozine's interview predates that. It's at, It took place in December of 2020, which you will hear us reference. So um, enjoy the interview that we have coming up after the music. <laughs> All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the uh, main part of the podcast. After we have introduced ourselves as host um, today, we have uh, Philip Chrisman and Cozine Welch. If you guys want to say hi, real quick. Hey, hey, folks. Cozine Welch. Um, Philip Chrisman teaches first year writing at the University of Michigan. He writes on an ongoing column on new books for Plow Quarterly is the author of Midwest Futures, published by Belt Publishing. Um, very good book. Highly recommend you yeah. check it out. Um, his work appears in various places. He is the editor of the Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing. And Cozine Welch, at the age of 17, was sentenced to a 22 to 40 year prison sentence in the Michigan Department of Corrections. While incarcerated, he became the most published writer in the history of the University of Michigan's prisoner, uh, or my bad, University of Michigan's review of prisoner creative writing, appearing in 10 consecutive volumes. Since being released in September of 2017, Cozine has been published in the Michigan Quarterly Review, Plow Quarterly, and other journals. Currently the executive director of the Washtenaw County nonprofit Bright Away and co-instructing the Atonement Project at the University of Michigan and Theater and Incarceration, uh, courses that focus on restorative justice, reconciliation, and atonement, and the major role that the arts can do or can and do play in helping prisoners overcome the typically inhumane and demeaning environments of prison life. A lyric poet, he is also an accomplished amateur guitarist and singer songwriter. Originally from Detroit, he now works and resides in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Fellas, welcome to the podcast. 
Cozy, oh. and that was a very long. Uh, yeah, let me apologize. Hour. I didn't. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, was, I, was I was sitting here like I should have just picked one of those things. <laughs> every, everyone, everyone now knows everything there is to know about Cozy. And just every. I really felt like I needed to jump in and be like, "That's my best friend." <laughs> <laughs> Um, now that we are all intimately, uh, familiar with each other, um, how well, was- I, you know, I, I haven't heard Alex's and Jason's right. bios. Yeah. I don't oh, know, yeah, I don't know what right. genre you, you write in. You, oh, do you want my bio? Actually, I have it somewhere if you give me a second. My, the first bio I ever used, like when I got something published was, um, one time Alex got paid for speaking on a panel of leftist organizers and his best advice was telling people to read some science fiction books. <laughs> that's, that's not bad advice. Uh, I have my bio pulled up only because I was submitting to... <laughs> James Lee, casually, yeah, oh, I have... What, you want my bio? Oh, yeah, it's, it's already pulled up. That's so crazy. Because I, I submit so much work. Um, <laughs> oh, I submit so much work, so I just have to file both. I'm so <laughs> accomplished oh that I just have it on my business card, which I hand out. Uh, yeah, what? Well, oh, yeah. Anyways, I have a. Oh my god! Now. I have another oh one now. I have a full length that's gonna be embarked with. Yeah, I just have my bio pulled up. Whatever. And, and and all of that's on the business card. <laughs> it says all of that. That's what it says. A full book. I just, yeah. 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 Well, oh Jason God. B. Crawford, they, he, is a Black non-binary, bi-polyqueer writer born in Washington, D.C., raised in Lansing, Michigan. Their debut chapbook collection, Summertime Fine, is out through Variant Lit. Their second chapbook, Twerkable Moments, is due from Paper Not List Press in 2021. Their debut full length, How We Fed the Hunger, will be out in 2022 from Sundress Press. See? I like that. I like that title. I just fucking yeah. Moments. That's good. Look, I love all those titles. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this motherfucker writes a title. Don't I, I know how to title. I don't, the yeah. poem may be shit, but I know how to make a title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, That's all you gotta do. Is, I, all you gotta do is I get them there. I infamously suck at title. Like Midwest Futures is an okay title, but That's they make it dope, look, I thought. They they make it look really good on the cover. Like yeah, I was going to change the, co- I was going to change the title until I saw the cover design. And then I was like, okay, okay. Most of the things that I've written that, that anybody reads have like, just on being Midwestern, <laughs> how to be a Matt, just like the boringest fucking titles in, in yeah, human yeah. history. You're really in that, like just genre of, uh, you know, very serious writers who have the very serious titles. Like if you put, like if you title something like on blah 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 blah, you're like you're you're buckling up for a serious essay. I'm like, I'm on it. I, yeah, you, I, you I, are I, on it. To be on that thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, wow. I like a, a lot I... of great material to work with and to edit <laughs> and to. Uh, this is gonna P- be pull out of context for our listeners' enjoyment. You're you're gonna have you're gonna have a single and a B side, and enough for a 12 inch remix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I 
I'm gonna be pumping out this interview for years. Like, there's just gonna be a small <laughs> snippet. Like, there's gonna be the part where like Cozine drops that like he's actually like part of the CIA or some shit. Uh, but like, yeah, I'm gonna hold on to that until like 2023. Like, God damn, you fooled me. <laughs> it, it won't be relevant till then anyway. You might yeah, by that you. point, like he'll move on to like MI6 or some shit. So like, right, like, 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 like a real intelligence agent. Like a real intelligence, right? <laughs> Look, CIA is amateur hour, bro. Like, come on. Well, in terms of the books that get written about it, I mean, I'm sorry, Lakara is is much better than. Um, I don't know. Are there are there are there any fun books about CIA or yeah CIA agents? There's good nonfiction, but you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I'm not gonna fucking read 800 pages of Norman Mailer's Harlot's Ghost, right? Fuck that. <laughs> I'm not gonna read 800 pages of most things, so unless I'm unless I'm in segregation. <laughs> and if I'm in segregation, I got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> segregation is solitary confinement. For those who may not know, it's a prison term. It's. I'm just casually buying your book. Um, <laughs> oh, I got a signed copy. I'm from Stun. That's true. First and foremost, fuck you, Cozine. <laughs> Just for the stun. That's it. Because you, you got to see, you know, um, I'm making a collection of signed copies because I got too many friends that are dope ass writers. And I was like, why do I not just collect signed copies of everybody's so I can make money off of it? So I can make money. On, on the off chance that one of his friends gets like super famous, he can sell yeah, it. Yeah, like it's a smart yeah. investment, I feel like. I actually, I got. um. Phil, Phil might be the only person who knows who I'm talking about, um, but I have a signed copy of Lincoln and Nevada by um, George Saunders um, nice. that I, I paid normal money for. Like, I just got it off thrift books and it showed up and it was a signed copy. I, I don't like, know if y'all can see how. See, I got a personal note. Look at that. Ooh. You did? You did. <laughs> it's so crazy, right? Because I was like, so I'm reading it and my dumb ass, <clears throat> let me preface it with this. My dumb ass is like, got the signed copy and shit, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm realizing, like, I read it and fuck it up. Like, literally, like, literally, I have to have another copy to just read. Because, <laughs> right? Because I can't. So, are you, are, you, are you really hard on your books when you read them? Because I, I, I am like, yeah. Yeah. I, I try I'm, not to be, but I am eventually, so yeah. I'm careful with my books that I like get, give myself like a weird, like cramp in the middle of my back from like holding it just slightly open so that it will stay nice because I guess because I grew up working class and, and all our things got dirty and beat up really quickly mm. and I developed a complex about it at, at, a, yeah. at a very young age. Um, so that's, I think that's, my, I think that's, that's where my answer. complex evolved to because like I was I'm like that I don't like messing my books up so like when I like this book I got to read it like this but if I want to lay down I want to get comfortable I found as I started reading more as I grew up as I grew older that like for me to really kind of be comfortable enough to really ingest it I got to pretty much not allow myself to care so much about whether or not the book the is going to look pretty when I get done yeah and so the way I found to resolve that is since I got into the position where I could when I can I buy an extra volume. Um, yeah, that's that's what sane and normal people do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not something I, like with so like your book, Ashley's book, Jason's book, everybody I know's book. Like I have to get a second copy because I want to keep the first copy in good condition. You know what I'm saying? Because I know you guys, it's personal. You know, mm -hmm. but like a book like all my most of my other books, I won't necessarily buy a second copy unless I'm going to gift it. 
You know what I mean? Like, so I might be like, okay, it's my way of cheating. So I'll give Alex my used copy because I'm not buying me a new type of thing. Like, oh yeah. So. Um, I completely get it. Every every book I own, uh, I'm just gonna burn now. <laughs> just I'm gonna burn Phil's book. I'm gonna burn Jason's book. Just all the books are gonna get burned. Make a point. Well, I do. That? Yeah. How you get no, that? No, no, no. That makes us. That makes us important. You know. That, yeah. That gives no. Because I'm I'm banning like Phil Eastern and Jason. European writers. Oh. <laughs> We've been canceled by yeah. the online mobs of the leftists. Yeah. I like I like make some. We can all we can all clean up now. Writing for that like leon weasel tears new fucking in-flight airplane magazine that that costs a thousand dollar an issue and <laughs> is making him a huge amount of money but he's still canceled somehow yeah someone someone uh you, did you see the thing about like jordan peterson and penguin random house and how like people like working at penguin random house didn't want to put his book out um on on the subreddit for like book piracy um people were like mad about it they were like they're canceling jordan peterson i'm like y'all know he's not getting canceled right like he's, they just don't want to cancel him the fucker was in a <laughs> yeah he medically fuck, induced coma he got covid he got put into a <laughs> uh coma he was like what was he on he was on like he overdosed on like some like weird ass drug um, yeah, yeah. in russia of all places yeah. like and man's yeah. still alive so yeah he cannot be killed like i would say who is he's, this in my six agent you don't you don't want to exactly exactly i was just thinking he's like he's like james bond or something like he's so much <laughs> more the shittiest james bond we can get <laughs> yeah and that's really saying something because they're all terrifying uh human beings <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's like uh, his his Wikipedia is so much more interesting than anything he'll ever write. Oh, I read the Wikipedia Damn. on Twelve Rules of Life, and it's absolutely <laughs> like it, it lists out the twelve rules. It's absolutely insane. It's number one's like <laughs> like clean your bed. Yeah, it's like clean your room, Make like your fix your bed, and then like number three is like fucking beat your kids or some crazy shit like that it's the most it's not actually beat your kids but like it goes do not do not allow your children to do anything that makes you dislike them yeah it's like let me let me pull up the list which is like i don't know buddy the that doesn't seem workable because the list of reasons i can momentarily dislike someone is actually (laughs) like really long and it includes like shitting a diaper when i uh would rather be doing something else right and i'm not gonna not allow my kid to do that i'm going to retain <laughs> my dislike because i'm a fucking grown-up right. yeah so one is stand up straight your shoulders back two is treat yourself like you're someone you are responsible for helping three is make friends with people who want the best for you Four is compare yourself with who you were yesterday and not with no toxic ass people, which is like friends. These like like it's all just kind of like whatever. You're like yeah okay like I guess like this isn't that bad. And then number five, like Phil said, is do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. You're like oh okay that's weird. Um, And then it gets to uh, has this man met children? (laughs) (laughs) He probably didn't like them. (laughs) Yeah, well, that would explain some things. My Uh, my favorite one is do not bother children when they're skateboarding. 
Is that really on there? Brad! Yeah, that's that's what? number 11. Number 11 that, is he, do not bother children him, while they're skateboarding. That makes him the coolest guidance counselor uh, 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 of the year 1992. <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, it's so like others, everybody who doesn't skateboard. Like, it, it, so, and it, and so it, my kids don't skateboard, I'm like, Bitch, you better hop your ass on this board. You better keep pushing. Push. It's number 11. You're, you're, you're bothering the kids to skateboard. <laughs> yeah, because look, because you know what? Because them not skateboarding is something I don't like. Because number 11 says they have the habit. Number five says I can't let them do shit that I don't like. So yeah. kick, push, you little <laughs> crumb snatching. Mm -hmm. Is Very, that what it's yeah. telling me? Is that how I got to treat my Jordan kids? Peterson didn't think this through, actually. <laughs> he did not expect Cozine to ever hear of his book. That's, that's like, true, motherfucker, I got real life. I got real life stuff for you how about that if jordan <laughs> peterson were my child i would simply not like him if he looks this bad too. so it's it's retroactively inapplicable i also be his parents shouldn't have liked him writing i also have to say that like his wikipedia page being more interesting than anything he's ever written is the best drag i've heard of yo that was slapping dude you're, thank you very much jason you you don't you don't even know man you gotta you don't even know about the intellectual dark web man, like, all these fucking insane people on twitter like uh, i stay on right of which, of which <laughs> yo orders magnitude more insane i mean he's way ahead of all of them yeah he, hey, jason yeah is, real talk right that remark from phil was so slapping that this whole conversation, I've been talking shit about this Peterson guy, and I don't even know who he is. <laughs> I don't even know who he is. Well, but gentlemen, Phil said, I, but if Phil said that his Wikipedia is the most interesting thing, I'm on him. I'm, <laughs> I'm on him. Look at me some bullets. I'm shooting. The, the, I'm the <laughs> medically induced coma, the conspiracy theories about whether his kid is trying to take him out, the kid with the lifestyle <laughs> brand who only eats meat. Yeah. Uh, Wow. And, and, he, and yeah. He's an so he's like, he has a PhD in like clinical psychology, I think. And what he got famous for is he, he's Canadian and he taught at the University of Toronto. And they had like, I think the government of Canada or Ontario passed a law about like pronouns basically being like, hey, like if you're a federal institution, like if you receive federal money, you have to have like a way for like, people to switch their pronouns and stuff like very like benign law like not that big of a deal jordan peterson took that as um if i they're don't call, put me in jail yeah they're gonna put me in jail because i won't call my students the pronouns they want to mm -hmm. be called i'll only call them the pronouns that i want to call them so basically <laughs> saying that like trans people like can't like have like different like like your pro like you can't change your pronouns like you're just and, and whatever also, you are sorry wildly exaggerating like the amount of state coercion he was under as yeah, he did so I love, I, I love people who get who are work as teachers and get famous for like writing or saying something that is basically about like here's why i'm not going to do what is obviously best practices as a teacher right like even if you're even if you're like you have like trad sexual ethics or something it's just good teaching practice to call people what the fuck they want to be called yeah Just, he, he's an absolutely boring. insane man he thought yeah, you, he would like mm. be put in jail 
Um, but no, he, he should have just been removed from teaching. Yeah, that's all. He just should have been removed even, from he teaching. He didn't even get removed from teaching. He he got famous off of it. Now he like gives lectures and like grifts a bunch of. Oh, money. how to be a dick teacher? But <laughs> here's you know, how to be here's how to be an asshole professor. One, don't give shit about your students. <laughs> Two, get famous for it. How 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 to go just like. 10 miles out of your way to insult your students and yeah. your potential future students and yeah it's great and if jordan peterson was at the university of michigan and this happened here he could have been put in in prison potentially and then submitted to the michigan review of prisoner creative writing that's this true is, this, this is my segue how to be a better writer this is my segue mm-hmm. into talking about why we're all mm-hmm. here today that was an extremely um, elegant segue <laughs> So, um, I don't know how much of the previous conversation is going to get cut, how much we'll see. Yeah, I know. Because that was, um, I was real, I was seriously I, thinking like, you know what, that was the, a real wild. The, we're giving the, you the, like six the, different the, episodes here, guys. Really, the, some of the Jordan Peter stuff is going to have to uh, stay in so I can make that beautiful segue. But, um, so, uh, for, for people who might have forgotten uh, by the time uh, I've read uh, author bios and everything, or I guess our guest bios. Um, both Phil and Cozine are involved with uh, the Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing. I always don't remember what the title is, so I hope that's right. Because um, we just call it the Lit Review um, <laughs> for those in the know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, we wanted to gather you here today to have kind of, you know, a conversation about the Lit Review. Um, Phil has, you know, been doing the lit review since the lit review could be done, as far as I know. Um, um, did you actually there, start it, or was there someone I, before you? I did you? not start it. No, um, I think it was. I think it was a student initiative. Like it was PCAP students, uh, Mich- Michigan uh, Prisoner Creative Arts Project students started it in 2009 um, when you know I wasn't even. Um, associated with the university at that time. Um, So I took over in uh, 2014, I want to say. And that first year I had one of the, one of the student editors from the previous year. Um, We like kind of worked together. um, And I, you know, I wouldn't have known what the hell to do if if, uh, uh, Lee hadn't been around. Um, And so yeah, I've been running it since 2014. I'm the first faculty advisor. Uh, it used to be like students would have to reinvent the wheel for themselves every year, oh, that's which great. I can't even imagine how much work that yeah, is. Right. Yeah, right. That sounds terrible. Yeah. And then uh, Cozine, as mentioned in his bio, has uh, submitted so many times and been in it so many times uh, consecutively. Um, <clears throat> So the, the question I wanted to kind of kick us um, off with is what brought both of you to the, you know, working on the lit review? Um, you know, like what was kind of like, how do you find out about it? Like what made you be like, yeah, this is like something I want to do, you know? Should I, should I yeah. start or should you? Yeah, you know, go ahead. Your story is going to be more interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like my story, so I'll, I'll try to make it as concise as I can. Um, so I was actually trying to get into the, uh, writing workshop. So I was at Thumb Correctional Facility and the University of Michigan through the Prison Creative Arts Project has workshops that they facilitate at different institutions. Um, <clears throat> student organized, not necessarily ran, but student organized workshops. And so I, there was one that was going to be held at Thumb that was going to be a writing one. I was like, oh, 
I want to get in that. At the time, I was like writing a little bit. You know, you're in prison. I had a knack for writing or at least a, a passion for it a little bit. So I would do that some. And it was like, oh, I want to get into this and become a better writer. Unfortunately, through the prison politics and a bunch of other stuff, that's an interesting story, but might be too long for this podcast. I ended up not being able to get into that workshop. Um, and I was angry about it. And so I'm telling a friend of mine about it. And he's like, well, why don't you go and submit to the, to the, the book they got coming out? And I was like, what book? And he showed me this flyer that had been posted in the day room that said it was the second annual uh, uh, prison, Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing. And it was open submissions. And I was like, oh, okay. So my, so my I'm going to be completely honest. My motivations were, as my phone rings, my motivations were not really that good. <laughs> it was very much uh, out of anger and wanting to prove to this person who wouldn't allow me to get into this workshop for no good reason, other than that apparently I was too talented. Um, and I was going to get published on their, on their ass, right? <laughs> um, and, but what it did was made me sit down and start writing with a different type of purpose. And so I, pub, I submitted a poem and it was accepted. Now, the funny thing is that I realized when I got the response that it had been accepted that I wasn't expecting it to get accepted, <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 um, which was a thing that kind of really hit me about my own um, uh, self-worth, how I felt about myself that I was like, wow, I need to look at that. But also now I put weight on me because I was like, oh, snap. They do this every year now? Like, I got to submit again. And what if I don't make it? But it's so ironic how you'll get something that you're hoping for and it creates its, new, its own fears, right? And I was like, well, if I don't get in again, it's like, uh, it was a fluke, right? Like, I'm not really talented. I just happened to, because the poem I wrote, it also was so, such a personal one to me that I thought maybe it was so much passion from my muse, which was my mother, that that was the one thing that made it good, right? So it wasn't so much that I was a good writer, but that, of course, I put off this wonderful sense of inspiration was my mother, who I love so much. And that's what it was, right? Like, obviously, that would get chosen because it's my mother. She's this amazing thing that would pull so much out of me. It would make me better than I actually am. Um, and so I, you know, I started writing, though. That was the important thing, is that whatever it was, it made me start writing regularly because I wanted to know if I was decent. Because this is the University of Michigan. You got to think about it. I'm like, yo, this is the University of Michigan. Right, and they're looking at all the writing from folks in, in who are incarcerated in Michigan. I know people writing here or in the same institution I'm in who make me be like, I should not write anymore. Right, and so at least you know, that's how I'm feeling. So that they chose my writing, and then I get the book. And when you get the book, I'm like, oh, I'm reading other people's stuff more than I'm reading my own. Because normally I'm reading my own to critique it and see how I can make it better. But I'm inspired by other people to write. That is good writing. And I'm like, damn. So anyway, so I, you know, y'all know I go off on tangent. So the fact of the matter is, I start writing on a regular basis. And the communication that I get from the lit review is like, you know, it's, it's, it's not just like a, a form letter, right? It's, it's very much, they have read your work, right? And they know what they like about it. And they even know suggestions on how maybe you might want to do some things I hear to improve, right? Like it's very much about having a writer and assisting and allowing a writer to get better. Even when you get rejected from the lit review, you don't just get a form of rejection, you get, and you get advice on how to improve your writing and, and you get, you're like, please submit again next year. Like, don't let this 
be a thing that stops you because the purpose before anything else is to allow a space for people who are incarcerated to become better writers, to give them some feedback, to give them something to look forward to and to write for. So I'm really like now trying to write regularly. So the, sh the short of it is I end up getting um, in the review again. And I get in it again. And in doing so kind of develop this, I don't, so I, I'm always trying not to sound cliche, right? But the fact of the matter is sometimes cliches are just doing things that fit. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I'm finding that as I do this, other parts of my life are making more sense. The bit like it's all, it, it's, it did for me, I imagine, because I'm not a journaler. I wish I was, but it did for me what I imagine journaling does for folks. Um, it allowed me to look more than myself, to look more into my environment, to see it from a different lens. Because like for me, especially being incarcerated, when, I'm, when I start writing, I, I put myself in a position where I start observing differently. Uh, it's almost like meditative. It's, I think it might be one of the things, honestly, that, that kind of led me to my um, meditation practice. Because writing would, was that type of difficult for me where it made me accept the reality of my, of my situation in a way that I hadn't before. You know, inside, you find a way to just get by. And because it's an institutional environment and there's such a set structure and it's so controlled, you can kind of numb yourself through it if you're lucky. You find things that help you just slide by. Hopefully without getting too much shit, sometimes you do, but it's all about just finding some way to make it through this 10, 20, sometimes lifetime sentence of seeing this shit over and over every day. And to have to look at that in a way that's not from a numbing perspective was scary for me, but it was also therapeutic in having to, and for, forcing myself to look at this reality that I'm in from a different perspective and to see it for what it really is, helped me accept it in a way that allowed me to not be so controlled by it, to not be so in fear of it like I have been. Because I'm gonna tell y'all, I used to sit and go through it writing with a lit review because it wasn't just me wanting to be a better writer and realizing I don't have the traditional resources that a, a writer would have. I just have whatever I can scrap out of the library and you know pieces I can put together, you know, reading other books and just trying to better understand grammar and how structure is and how to get the feel of it, how to find your voice. Um, but I'm looking at my cubicle and it's not just a cubicle now. Now I have to look at how someone across from me is living here living a life from a perspective that's different than mine, but sees the same things, but is affected by it differently. What is it like to have that life? What is their perspective like? Hell, what is the perspective of the CEO like? What is the perspective of this building? Mm -hmm. These bricks that were made for a purpose they didn't know. You know what I mean? What, I sometimes think to myself, like times when I was in higher securities and, you know, and things would go down and blood or any type of other body fluid would be on the wall. Did that brick, in t did that brick know this was going to be its use? Mm. Like having to see, think about things like that. Like it, it was, um, like it saved my life, man. It, it honestly did. It honestly helped me find and, and put me further down the path that I think saved my life. Mm. Um, so anyway, and so <laughs> Uh, a whole poem for an answer. Yeah, my, just... my bad. Um, but the, the point is, that's how kind of it started for me, was very much from that writer's perspective and the lit review being this catalyst for me to find a sense of who I was that I needed, right? I feel like, you know, when you're kind of searching, you, the things you need 
you find your way to them and they find them their way to you. And I feel like the Lit Review was very much that because I made lifetime friendships. I met family through the Lit Review. Like, you know, like I know Phil, like, you know, and Phil and I are like, you know, for the folks who are listening to this podcast, just seem like two folks who work together. No, this is one of my best friends. This is someone I've lived with. I eat and share meals with. I didn't just work with him. Like, and when we were like, we communicated while I was inside. This is someone who offered me a place to stay, right? Like this is that type of bond we had, right? And that was because it started with two writers. And it started with one recognizing a potential talent in me and that being Phil. And I can't forget Ashley, because I, I, you know, the lit review, though it, though it says uh, Phil Christman, or it may say Cozine Welch, it is a family thing. So everyone who's there, whether it be Ashley, Vanessa, you name it, Mary, it's yeah. all really a family thing, right? Nor like everybody, it's definitely a, a familial thing. Um, so that is kind of how I came into the lit review and so that so i want to make sure that folks know it's not as if it was just you know two people who don't know each other just no you we got to know each other like that's that's how it works that's the beauty of pcap is that it's not just about oh well you know we're gonna do a little bit and take care of yourself right it's more like no you're a real person like you know there are things here for you be better here are some tools some resources what do you need um anyway see i told you i get on tangents um, no, that that was a much better. Like your answer to this question is much more interesting than, than mine is. Yeah, can is, you can you follow up thinking about like whether the bricks meant to like be bricks or not, and like or specifically like prison bricks? Like, could you follow that up, Phil? Because I don't think I could. Well, uh, from the perspective of object-oriented ontology, uh, Alex, uh, I can't finish that sentence because I actually <laughs> just know that that's a name of a thing. I, I sounds... meant, could you like, could you come up with something like? on that level of like interesting insight no <laughs> stop it I, I was like floored there and had to catch back up uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh <clears throat> yeah well um you know my 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 wall right now is is uh is, is saying uh you know that alex shouldn't drag me like that so <laughs> that's what my wall saying oh. um no i uh i uh so uh, my wife, Ashley Lucas, uh, who's a scholar of prison theater, um, she got hired away from the University of North Carolina by the University of Michigan uh, <clears throat> in, uh, over the course of 2012, 2013. Um, by the way, in, in a process that gave uh, me many useful illustrations of how like even like very accomplished woman who, who has like resources and privileges that are not available, uh, to everybody, um, <laughs> you know, they can still find ways to make it just condescending as hell and just like fuck you, you you silly you silly woman you. I, it was was pretty pretty eye opening. Um, but anyway, yeah, U of M uh, hired her away uh, from UNC and uh, mostly like to to teach theater, but also to run the Prison Creative Arts Project, which was founded by uh, Buzz Alexander of the English Department. Uh, back in the like around 8990 um, and uh, so she came here to do that um, and uh, now Nora Kranitsky who's a historian is running it um, but Ashley ran it for several years and she needed you know she needed a like a faculty person to 
kind of be the point person on the lit review so that it wouldn't be on these students to reinvent the wheel every year. Um, <clears throat> and, it, you know, I, I teach English uh, and my um, degrees in creative writing, so it made sense for me to be the person to do that. Uh, and so I took it over and, um, yeah, that was 2014. Uh, it's been interesting. Um, some years I do a really great job. Some years I think I do a really shit job uh, because frankly, like every letter I get, like every submission I get or every personal letter, like there's just always some detail or sentence that um, just makes me so angry that I can't function. Uh, you know, people are just, especially now with COVID, I'm, every time I open up my mail, it's just like this howling void of, uh, unnecessary human suffering and need that I, I just want to like go fix uh, and and sometimes I I don't cope with that feeling very well and and so then I um, you know I get lazy and I fall behind on my mail and then sometimes I'm really awesome and I'm on it and I'm writing uh, letters to Gozine uh, and you know um, making sure, uh, finding out when his parole date is, um, so, you know, anytime a writer that we've worked with enough that we can, that we feel like we know something about them, um, if, if we can support them with a parole letter, like we absolutely will. Um, and we try to integrate people who, um, you know, former writers for us who, who have come home, if they wanna be part of the editorial team or if they wanna be involved in some other way um, we, we try to make that possible. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, we try to make it a chance for, for writers to get some, I don't want to, I don't want to say mentorship because a lot of the, you know, a lot of times it's like undergraduate volunteers. It's more like other people who are finding their way through being a writer, um, who will find their way alongside you while you're while you're in prison um just by by offering honest feedback um i try not to i try not to frame myself like when i write letters um you know manuscript critiques for for people who are not going to publish um, i don't know how successfully i avoid doing this but i really try not to frame myself as like uh, i'm a faculty member at the university of michigan um i try to frame it as like hello i i am you are you are a, a fuck up whom God loves who is trying to become a writer. I am also a fuck up whom God loves who is trying to to become a writer. <laughs> and here's some things I notice, like, um, and that that's, you know, to, that's partly a, a matter of just how I, I I look at writing. I feel like writing is, um, you know, the John Warner says it's like a video game that just side scrolls forever and there's no final boss. Uh, <laughs> And I really, I think that's really true. And I, I think that's one reason that this, uh, the, the program kind of works and that like um, in my, uh, I teach a class every year, English 221, where I take st students and try to prepare them to be able to, to write helpful um, critiques for, you know, helpful rejection letters. Um, and a, oftentimes a lot of my students, they're not even, they're not like English majors. It, actually, you know who mostly takes it is doctors and engineers who need like one last humanities credit before they graduate. Uh -huh. I get so many of those. Uh, and it's fine. I, I'm just like, I pride myself on my ability to like get you ready to do this in three months. But um, 
and so, you know, because I have this, this point of view that like being a writer means mastering the same shit over and over again, it's, uh, <clears throat> um, that it's, it's very recursive in that way. I, I think that means that people who are at different stages of the process can, can help each other kind of non-linearly. Um, and then I also try to position myself that way, frankly, because like, I'm still pretty up, I'm just a, a obscure spousal hire at the University of Michigan. So, you know, I, if, if I tried to be the, if I tried to play the role of the like, you know, famous MFA professor, it just wouldn't, wouldn't, I couldn't carry it off, frankly. <laughs> so why bother? Also too, like, and there's, there's this, there's this too that needs to be known, like the editorial committee consists of volunteers as well. So it's like, it's really well rounded out. Like it's really combines folks who love to read and write and who have really interesting insights and backgrounds that bring interesting perspective to how they interpret, right? Like one of the greatest things I like, and, and, and Alex can tell you, Alex was, Alex is part of the committee, mm -hmm. <clears throat> is that you get to talk about this piece of writing as a committee with other folks from let's say a very different background who maybe read something different than you, right? Like it's very much about bringing all these different perspectives together. And so I think that's why one of the reasons why we find such good pieces is because in a lot of ways for a piece to get through, it has to hit so many different points from so many different perspectives, like so many different people have to like it, right? It's almost guarantees, right? It's almost like a fail safe that, and then that this shit is gonna be pretty good. And then at the end of that, you have, and I don't, you know, Phil can talk that humble stuff all he wants to. <laughs> I know Phil's a great writer. And he's I'm a great the editor. final boss, and it has to get by. <laughs> right, right, right. He's the, this side scroll <laughs> has Phil. They're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, and if anyone who's been there, right, when you, you may you, pass. No, but it, 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 it very much sounds like this typical, like, oh, well, yes, stamp of approval. But because he's always there through the whole process and you get to talk to Phil and understand how Phil, uh, his approach to writing and understanding writing, when Phil goes that like, yeah, I, I really thought that too. And something, I'm, a, I'm not going to lie. I can't speak for anybody else. I'm going to speak for myself. You sit there kind of like, yeah, I, I, knew, I knew I was right with that one. <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, you're, you're, like, you're like, yeah, see, I knew, I knew, that was, I knew, I knew me noticing that was, in, was proof of my improvement. <laughs> right? So... Yeah. Yeah, it is very well rounded out that way. Yeah. I, don't want, I want folks to know that that's cool too, because we look for folks to come in and, you know, and join us. Yeah, all walks, especially now that it's on Zoom, um, so you don't have to like drive to, to a specific place um, right. every, it, it, that's, that's one, that's like the one nice thing that the, <laughs> that's the one gift the pandemic has given us. Uh, is I, I think it's easier for people to make it to a Zoom meeting, quite frankly. And it's, it's easier for me to run in some ways. I've been able to do more with like small groups and stuff. Whereas before I was in this like room where you can't have side conversations in that fucking room. You've been in there. Like, <laughs> you know, I can do more with breakout rooms and, and uh, you know, give people, those conversations have more of a chance to like develop, a, a, you know, among volunteers. Yeah, and we we take anybody who's interested. You don't you don't have to be like a, a literature nerd, although you probably will be by the time you're you know we're we're done with you, quite frankly. But <laughs> you don't have to be coming from that that place. The lit review 
uh, is a great time if anyone wants to uh, volunteer after listening uh, to this podcast. Is this AM radio? Yeah, this is, this is the AM uh, This is the AM Alex Noto. Um, but I, so we kind of touched on this a little bit with Cozine going into kind of like uh like what the lit review like did for him specifically but i kind of want to talk more about what like what is the role of like the lit review right like what is not only like what is the role so so like this means a different couple of things right like what is the role of the lit review within like literature in general like what is this like what role is this fulfilling in the world of like books and reading them and conversing about them but also like what role is this for like the people who work on it and like what role does this fill for like the people who submit to it like what are all the various different like kind of roles going into the lit review i mean i very much think of it as and i tell volunteers i mean you've both heard this spiel before it's a it's a literary journal in my mind first and foremost right um like i i want people to pick to pick stuff because they think it's good um now good has an asterisk next to it right um like there are a million different ways to be good and i think part of the process of of being like just a thoughtful or or cultured person is is realizing that sometimes uh good is going to hit you in in ways that you've never seen it look before um that you know you're you're used to you're used to Beethoven and then Charles Ives come, comes along, right? You're used to, you're used to Duke Ellington and then fucking Sun Ra comes along and is, is good, but according to a new set of rules that they've kind of just generated. Um, like li- literature is art and art generally really is, it, it's a game where one of the rules of the game is that you make up new rules as you go along. So you have to have that imaginativeness and that flexibility, but um, like the criteria I want people using are like ultimately aesthetic ones. Um, you know, I want it to be as strong of a literary journal as it can be. Um, <clears throat> that said, I mean, we'll, we definitely, it's, it seems like a kind of tradition that's, that's evolved over time, that there will always be at, at least, we always just end up picking at least one piece that is just like powerful mostly because of the content like maybe it's well written maybe it's less well written but it's like a memoir that represents the experience of of like being in prison in a way that that people need to know about because you know I, I I also feel like that's that's not the main part of a role but like that information um information spreading that's like maybe 10, 15, I'm comfortable with that being 10, 15% of, of our role. Um, and then, you know, I, my hope o- over time is, is that it can become almost kind of a, a correspondence, an informal correspondence mentorship uh, opportunity for, for developing writers who are in prison. Although that's gotten harder in the last few years because uh, MDOC has has placed uh, restrictions on how many prisoners you can write to at the same time. I had to drop all of my personal correspondence with prisoners who had approached me through the lit review a few years ago um, because of that rule, which, uh, you know, you have to drop one of your pen pals and you feel like an asshole. Um, 
Boo, I'm going to see Boo. Yeah, it really sucks. Uh, <laughs> it, that, that, yeah, that was, that was rough. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like I, I want people to be able to send us stuff and know that at some point they're going to, you know, it'll either get published or, or they'll get someone who has, has tried to really be thoughtful in their approach to it, um, responding to it in some way. Uh, and then I, uh, I think for volunteers, um, you know, I, I, I do hope that it's kind of a, a, like, even if you haven't been through like the MFA or, or, you know, uh, creative writing workshop experience, that it's kind of a chance to, to refine those skills and, and develop that ability to like, kind of tell the difference between when something just isn't that good and when something is a version of good that you haven't seen before. Um, like I hope, you know, I hope it's, it's a kind of literary education for people or, or the beginning of one. Yeah, we'll follow that. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, <laughs> you can follow in a second. Okay. One, of the, one of the things I was going to say about like, in terms of like, these different type of goods and like these different types of writing that we see through the lit review. And I feel like maybe like I have a bit of a skewed perspective because I've read so many things that like don't get published in the lit review um, through, you know, the editorial process. But one of the things I think that is really special about the lit review is that like there is this idea of prison literature and prison writing, right? And it is in the contemporary era. And it's usually like, I am in prison and it sucks and this is all the terribleness of prison and prison is so 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 bad and like i get it right like i've never been in prison i've read many things about prison sounds like the worst fucking thing you could ever be in but like you know there's definitely like there's this genre of like prison writing that's just all about like how prison sucks and mm -hmm. through the lit review you get a lot of writing that is not about that right you get a lot of writing that is about like more like I won't say the humane parts of prison, but more about like the humanity of people in prison, which I think a lot of prison literature can like often miss. And you learn a lot yeah, of like yeah. like it reminds people. Um, and I, I was even guilty of my of this myself, even though like I thought I wasn't. But like it reminds you that people in prison are like they're just people, right? Like they're not so different than like people who are outside of prison. They just happen to be in prison. And this writing, I think does like a much better job at showing that than like, you know, reading like whatever, like compilation of, you know, your stereotypical prison writing. Well, this is one of my particular hobby horses, honestly, is, is that marginalized people get tasked with writing protest literature, and, and literature that kind of um, functions in an almost journalistic way for a, an audience that is not marginalized in that particular way. Um, like, I feel like it is, every kind of marginalization, I feel like this is true of. It, it's, it's harder to find uh, like novels by black writers that are not either actually doing this or marketed as and and more often it's it's marketed this way and then the book turns out to be doing like much more interesting things 
um, but uh, as as a kind of journalism for for white people, for example, like you know, it's 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 not uh, read the bluest eye because it's it's a carefully wrought ver- ver- verbal artifact that Toni Morrison, who's a genius, spent a lot of her you know youth and energy on. It's read the bluest eye so that you can really understand the horrors of white patriarchy. I mean, I, that is not how I approach reading at all. Like, I feel like if I want to know about the horrors of history, uh, you know, I, <laughs> history and journalism, you know, can do, like, I can, I can read uh, Eric Williams' Capital, Capitalism and Slavery or The Black Jacobins uh, and, and get a pretty good idea pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, and if it's about bearing witness to someone's experience or somebody wants to tell me something, um, you know, if somebody wants to share their burdens with me, uh, then I'm, I'm just going to buy them a sandwich and, and we're going to have a conversation. But I do not go to literature to, to do either of those things. I go to literature for an aesthetic experience and it makes me, it makes me angry that like, uh, honestly, that writers it's not that it's bad if a writer actually wants to do that. Like Richard Wright wanted to do that. Um, and he was really good at it, so go him. But if a writer, uh, and, and Percival Everett, who's one of my favorite, like top five living contemporary writers, um, he talks about this in his work a lot, that if you want to do something uh, other than that, uh, publishing treats you like shit. He, you know, in, in the novel Erasure, he has uh, a a character who's a black writer who does experimental work, um, who's constantly being told by white publishers <laughs> that his work isn't black enough. And it's like, that kind of is the response sometimes. It's, it's super offensive. And yeah, I, when I get a piece of quote unquote prison writing that is just like a historical saga about Egypt in the year 3000 BCE, I am so happy because what that tells me is that that person's imagination is still is still theirs the institution hasn't completely colonized it yeah and it's I, like the, the or do you want to say something jason i was going to say i definitely agree in the sense of um a lot of times we look at marginalized writers and expect for them to be the voice of their their pain mm-hmm. um, and i think about that in when we think about things like uh Hanif. Adul Rakim and uh, his all his poems about how you know how can you write about flowers in a time like this? It's this idea of we as black people, we as uh, queer people, we as whatever marginalized you are, you don't get to write about anything other than the pain because yeah. the pain is constantly happening. So why not you know? And it's a pain that uh, white cis uh, writers don't get to write about. So it's like here's your your niche. Here's your um here's your opportunity don't don't blow that because you know this is what you need to write about but you know why why can't i as a a black queer writer write about you know narwhal i don't know like why why that that sense of just having my space of of joy right yeah and that's you know it's squandered a lot actually yeah i think that speaks strongly to like why to speak to what Phil was saying it is very much a literature review um but i so for me there's always this mix right because whenever you are a part of any marginalized 
um, segment of society and you are a writer, right? That's going to happen, right? Everything we've been talking about is going to happen. Um, at the same time, you have to have, if, you're, if, if a journal or review is going to be, you know, worth its salt, it's going to let you decide what the hell you want to write about. Because you may, because I want to write about the way these flames on this fake fireplace make me think about being at home with my mama. And I also want to write about how this CEO coming in and, and mm -hmm. putting, you know, his dirty ass hands all over my pillow and then he's spitting on it. You know, I, I want to talk about both of those. Right. And, and I want to talk about whichever one I feel like talking about when I'm writing at that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's what to me makes the lit review an actual real literary journal because you, we, like Phil said, you can't get away from the fact that writing is an art form, mm -hmm. right? And all art form is allowed to be social commentary, is allowed to be political, is allowed to be religious, is allowed to be whatever the writer wants it to be when they are writing. And to have that availability of space for a writer to do that who is incarcerated is not something that an incarcerated writer normally gets, right? And, and, and we've been in situations where you see it, I mean, you see it all. You see what you would consider to be the traditionally uh, uh, um, stereotypical prison writing, right? And you also start to recognize as you do it longer that your writers sometimes come from that space because that's what they believe that's what's expected. Because we can't take out this equation, this systematic equation that the writers are in the system too. Mm -hmm. I'm always letting folks know, you know, I'm always letting folks know like people who have been in prison. As an example, I talk about um, Angela Davis's book that I love, Our Prison's Obsolete. And I talk about how difficult it was for me to read that and to get the idea in my mind of what a world without prisons would look like. And I was just suffering through one for 20 years. You would think, oh, oh, someone who just did 20 years, that's gonna be like, oh, hell yeah, prisons need to, need to go. But I'm a part of the same system always, that someone, yeah. right, right. I'm a part yeah. of the same system that someone who has never been in prison is. I see myself and others the same way some, a white cis male sees me as a part, you know, mm -hmm. from that perspective. Like, I'm in the same place. I see the same images. I'm fed the same food, right? Mm -hmm. um, right, so the point I'm making is, so it was, it's really great how you see writers who will assume they have to pimp their pain, as we call it, and are able to realize they can just speak what they feel. And if that's their pain, it's their pain. If it's their joy, it's their joy. If it's their dream of something they've never seen, it's that. And yeah. that's where the real writing, the real skill is allowed to come through. And one of my favorite poems um, that we've had in review talks, one of the favorite parts for me of this poem is the visualization that this writer creates of what he believes his, his, uh, the mother of his child his daughter and a neighbor looks like having a conversation at a fence. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to even do with what he's experiencing inside. It's what he imagines this experience outside is like and how he paints that for me. Not just how he, I'm able to see not just how he imagines it, but that he is. And he's mm -hmm. taking his past and what he knows from his past and what he hopes for a future, what he imagines what this present space looks like without him in it. Mm -hmm. But it's not really about him being in prison. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But it'll, mm -hmm. he'll, it's, it's, anyway, y'all know I'll keep talking. The, the point is, that's to me why the Lit Review is a literature review first. And so it allows for those social commentaries, allows for that political shit, because anything that's real art allows for that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
Oh, oh yeah, we talked. You also want to know about how it affects those who are uh, who are actually in the review. What, yeah, what is the yeah. yeah yeah what is what is kind of like, um, you know, just to reiterate and remind is what you know. Yeah, what is it like for you know people on the inside? I mean, I know I've I've personally heard you talk a lot about like how it gives people something to work towards, right? Like that and you talked about that earlier like you know working on getting into the literature review um you know like if you want to go more into that like what what kind of effect does this have on like you know not only yourself but like all the other people you've seen who like you know go through this process on the inside um well i think one thing to take into one like overarching kind of theme to remember is that when you're incarcerated the ability to communicate gets limited so severely that writing becomes much more important than it did before or that it is to the average person outside in society. Um, both from the, your ability to communicate outside of those prison walls, as well as your ability to find something to do to feel that time, to deal with these feelings, emotions, experience. Um, so naturally you have a lot of writers who are born in prison. And at the same time, because it is such a hyper-masculine and violent and just archaic environment, there's not a lot of broad perspective. There's not a lot of uh, food for cultural um, exchange, right? Um, so, the, 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 so there can be a knack to fall into, or there can be a tendency to, or, or not a tendency, there can be an increased possibility to fall into a knack, to fall into a rut, because you have such limited access to outside resources. So, but the point I'm making is regardless of what, writing always happens. And so when you're inside, the 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 you quickly come to realize that even post incarceration right writing can be a tool for you but in but while incarcerated it is a tool you recognize that while incarcerated that whole old phrase the pen is my inner sword while you're incarcerated the pen is the only sword you have the it's writing how you fight to release yourself from prison through prison legal briefs to appellate courts and supreme courts writing is the only thing you have honestly right it is your prime source of communication because it is often the only thing that a department of corrections won't take from you there's always some way to put language down on something i can tell you stories of 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 of, of our pcap legend mary heinen and how she used to in, in doing and uh preparing lawsuits for all the atrocities that were happening in the prisons that she was in writing on on pieces of 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 of, of blown away debris that came off of a, a, a concrete bag or something like that that was in the trash, using that to write down legal opinions and to get information and exhibits out to attorneys, mm -hmm. right? It's it, like writing is, is oftentimes the last damn thing you have while you're in there. So it becomes that important to you. Whatever type of writing you do, writing becomes that important to you. And so you have a lot of folks in there who get into writing in general, and they develop a love of reading and writing. So and it becomes the thing that you recognize may be your only way to make a living, to gain some type of, to get some type of voice, to find some way to communicate and connect with people so you can find a way to live. And, and look, I will, when you think about it, I'm a perfect example. I served 20 years in prison, and while incarcerated, I didn't learn any real skills that were going to prepare me for a job market when I came home. What was I? I was 17. What was I going to do coming home to almost 40 years old? What skill was I going to have? How to be a good janitor? Because I, a, a <laughs> I took a custodial maintenance course? 
You know, and then all the, most of the, the classes you take that are supposed to give you some certification don't give you anything you can really use when you come home because guess what? You're still formally incarcerated. So they still don't want you because of that, regardless of your certification of your training. They don't take can, that away. You, 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 can, you can work for Starbucks inside and then not be able to work for Starbucks outside because they won't hire, they won't hire felons. Right. Yeah. So like, so writing, be, writing takes on so much more for a person. It means so much more for a person incarcerated, I think, than it does anyone outside who's not heavily invested in writing as a passion or as a career. Yeah. Um, so that being said, when you get any type of recognition, and I say recognition because we have to recognize <laughs> that when you're inside, you're very much othered in a way that is more than just someone being in your presence and not looking at your scene. It's you not being in anyone's presence, right? You are physically removed and othered, right? And that is on top of what society and, our, and you know, the popular opinion and perception of incarceration and folks who are incarcerated. So that others you too, then you're literally othered. So being able to submit to a review that first of all has, let's be honest, it has the University of Michigan. So for those of us who don't even really, who won't, who won't know because we haven't been involved, I'm talking about those writers like, I, like myself when I first started, who won't know until we get involved how great the lit review is apart from the whole University of Michigan you know, thing that, that would draw you in. This makes you say, oh my God, oh my God. And then you get the feedback you look at the volume, you see the, 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 you see the, uh, the quality, you see attention is paid, you see variety, right? Like, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. When I got my first copy of the review, I wasn't really expecting much because let's like every, look, because just like everybody else, I was caught up in that same opinion of what prison writing is, right? Now, I know I knew great writers in prison who I known, but with the particular institution I was at, I didn't know any of those folks who had been in it, who had submitted to it, right? I think because they may have the same thought that I had, that it probably, oh, if they look in prison writing, it's probably not gonna be that good. And then you get it and shit catches fire, right? Like you should have seen how that my volume spread through that prison. You know what I'm saying? Cause anyway, so, so the point I'm making is, one of the reasons why it's so important to folks inside is because writing means so much more to us and then realizing that there, is, there are a group of people who care so much about our writing, right? Not our condition, not how well we pimp our pain, right? Not because you know, we wanna help the less fortunate, right? But because they care so much about the writing because they recognize how much talent is here. They recognize this is a wealth, this is there's a pool right here. And you, and as a writer, you come to know that with your experience with the lit review. You come to know that with your experience with the workshops. You know that with your, from your experience with PCAP. And so that's why it means that much to folks inside who get involved. That's why they keep submitting. Yeah, I had a QB uh, one time, good friend of mine. He's, he's home now. We, we just hung out a couple weeks ago. Um, he, would, he wanted to write. And so I would tell him like, okay, he would see me writing and saw the books. I, you know, I keep my, kept my lit reviews on my shelf. You know, I stunned, I stunned a little bit, you know, over the years, my, my stack increased. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, those books are, you know, I'm right for the living. Anyway, but um, <laughs> I'm a little- the record of my successes. Yeah, you know, dang, I need some, you know. Um, but uh, 
I had convinced him to kind of start writing and submit. And he did, and he submitted, and he got rejected. But what was most important was that he got rejected, and he got an, a letter letting him know things about his piece. Think, I think it was actually gave him some examples of other writers his writing was similar to that he might want to check out, right? Like, it was a real, like, okay, here, here's what we saw. Here's what's great about it. Here's what we think, you know, you might want to try to look at, try checking out this. And, you know, I'm in the queue with him, so you know I held his ass to it. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he did that. But the point I'm making is that it didn't make him feel defeated. It made him feel encouraged. And he wrote more. And he submitted that next year. And he's in there. He got in there that next year. Because his writing was that much better. And I'm like, this is like, this is an example in my personal life that I saw in my own eyes. Right? Um, that's why it's important for folks inside. Because regardless of the writing opportunities there may be, there aren't any that I'm aware of that make that have that type of impact on an individual who is a writer while incarcerated. Um, now, as far it's, as what it, it's uh, it's the chance to pursue excellence for its own sake, which yeah. is, I mean, those opportunities are systematically denied to people who are just assumed not to have any excellence in. Them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and one of the interesting things is you like you're talking about kind of like a culture of writing in prisons that like we don't often see right mm -hmm. and so often and i think this is like one of the great things about the lit review is that um you know when it comes to schools of writing like you have like your mfa writer um who went to like the university of iowa or like you know university of michigan or like any other mfa program to be honest um and they have like this certain like i you know i mean not all of them but so often they have like this i am a writer you know, i hold an mfa from like whatever school and then you have this other school of writing which is like i moved to new york and i just started fucking writing and then eventually i got published <laughs> um and then you but then usually there's a there's a relative with some money in the background yeah, of that yeah. story that we don't hear about that that second one in particular yeah usually yeah they're usually rich people because they're able to you know move to new york in the first place but um i think like you know there's this whole culture of you know writers and writing within prisons that don't get this view right and when they do get this view like we talked about earlier like it has to be about pain it has to be about suffering it has to be about like you know the experience of being like a black person in america like within prison right um but like you know cozine's like living proof of you know here are all these other poems right here's all this other writing that you know is technically prison literature because it happened within a prison and maybe it wouldn't have happened in the same way if I if I was out of prison, right? But like, it's not like, you know, like we talked about that stereotypical prison writing, right? Like so much of the writing that I've read for the lit review, like, you know, other than the fact that the writer's incarcerated, like, you know, has fuck all to do with being in prison, right? Um, and that, you know, that it, it's a writing culture that just like gets ignored by most people uh, mm -hmm. that like isn't paid attention to. Like I know, I think you and I, Phil, had, like, a quick conversation once about how, like, a lot of, like, indie journals just, like, don't take writing from prisoners. Mm -hmm. um, and they would have um, so much more, like, writing and interesting writing to work with um, if they just took mm -hmm. submissions from prisoners. Um, like, I know now, like, reading 
uh you know sorry to anyone who submit we're not trying to drag you but like uh to all the stuff that gets submitted to Knight's library like there's a lot of it that's just like any other journal like a lot of it's just not good and like you know yeah obviously we want people to try again you know we're, we're not trying to like ruin people's lives by rejecting them and you know everything like that. but like there's just a lot of writing that's like not good and i would say that like there's also a lot of writing that's not good for the lit review but there's also a lot of like in my experience, a lot more experimental and a lot more like interesting. Like even though it's not good, it's at least interesting writing that's coming out of this because like they're playing with form. I mean, whether they know how to do form or not doesn't even matter because um, they're playing with forms that like I never would have thought how to play with. Um, they're doing all these experimental things. Like there's this one piece uh, that we didn't put in because uh, I think it was going to be like hard to reprint or something. And also uh, people oh, I remember that. Yeah. like it. But it was it was this piece where it was, it was like a, a clockwork of words. Like mm -hmm. you had to keep turning like the piece of paper in order. And it was like this spiral thing. Um, and maybe I'm just like easily impressed. But like it was it was a very interesting way to like write a poem or something, right? It was a refreshing change. I got to be honest. I don't remember the content of what it said, but I liked that that writer was even trying uh, Cozine, you were going to say something a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say this because it's, it's, it's one thing that really pisses me off when you think about it. When we talk about how much those who are in the literary world um, care so much about writing in the pure form and art of literature and how much and are appreciative of how much time it takes to do that, right? The MFA programs, all these things give writers the space and time to write and play with form and learn and grow, right? And I'm sitting here like, if folks who are incarcerated for these 10 20, 30 lifetime sentences, right? Who love to write, who maybe from the circumstances of their life didn't have, or obviously because they're in prison, right? Maybe didn't have the opportunity to pursue writing like that or to find that they had a love or passion for it, but now have the time, unfortunately, yeah. to be masters and create beautiful shit. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's this pool of potential that people who claim to love the art from a writing think writing is dying and publications are dying. And I'm like, why don't y'all reach into where there's this wealth of all these things that allow for a writer to really get great? People Time. read in prison like crazy. Like crazy. Yeah. Consume. Yeah. Can I tell you how many 800 page books? I, I almost say to those nerds out there who really own it, the wheel of time. I've read mm -hmm. The Wheel of Time complete mm -hmm. series three times. Mm -hmm. Some books, four. I've read the, the Path of Daggers probably five times. I like that one. Dragon Reborn is pretty sweet, too. You know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, we read, right? I got friends who rag me because I haven't read War and Peace, right? They rag me. Like, you really, bro? You didn't read? You know what I'm saying? Like, they drag me for that. But the, the point I'm I making, don't know very many people who've read War and Peace, and I work in the university world. Yeah, but when you're in the hole, when you're in South Trade confinement, we almost have competitions on who's going to read the deepest uh, tome and be able to understand it. Like, okay, you read it. All right, I prove you read it. Okay, then what does Dimitriov do? And da, 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 da. You can what do you read. think of Tolstoy's thesis about right. history? Right, we showing out on each other. You know, <laughs> it's very much like a collegiate yeah. show off. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the point I'm making is like, that's one thing. Whereas that you, you get out into the free world and uh, the free world literary world is like, um, it's, it's a bunch of people on Twitter talking about how uh, an 80 page YA book 
is it's 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 better than it's better than Melville. Melville's oh, I was Melville's I was gonna outdated. say like on the outside of the literary world, there's a bunch of people on Twitter talking about whether or not you should sleep with the guy who has infinite just on his bookshelf. Mm. Uh, I I do, and you yes, should. So, so do I. <laughs> I you know for the record, yeah, I also just have really, infinite. That's just really hurtful. I, like for, for, I, I don't for know. For the record, I, I just I just ordered it for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I find it. I mean I. Do not contone how how David Foster Wallace uh, lived his life or how he treated Mary Carr uh, or or any of that, but it's it's a deeply moving book about addiction. I, that book in particular, it's funny how far. And I often find this is true with canonical stuff. The the disparity between its reputation and the actual content of the book is really incredible. It's mm-hmm. because people what people are reacting to is the canonicity and not the book. So people will be like. I, I actually, I, there was the, like in my in my uh, mid twenties, you know, when I would try to internet date, which was a horrible. It's a horrible experience now. I'm told, and it was then. But I remember there was this one woman I was talking to, and she she was also a writer, and she was just going off about how Charles Dickens is like elitist and pretentious and really hard to read. Charles Dickens is the fucking Steven Spielberg of the 19th century. <laughs> he is he is a cartoonist and like in the best possible way a vulgarian of uh, like a caricature artist like he's he he writes he writes about christmas ghosts. You know like but no, but I think no. people do that a lot they react to the the canonicity makes it feel um you know, like it's it's a British person reproving you for how you drink tea um, before you even open up the book, and and you know people react to that endlessly, and and not to anything that's actually in the book. Sorry, that's that's a definite tangent. Bronson's <laughs> fucking crazy. Well, we're gonna create a canonicity of uh, the lit review so that one day people can go out. Yeah, people Twitter people and... will be like, I hate the pretentious elitist Michigan <laughs> review of prisoner creative writing. And uh, they'll talk about whether or not you should sleep with someone based on if they have a yeah, bookshelf or yeah. not. Definitely. <laughs> definitely the, you the, definitely yeah. should. The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, the answer is yes. And if you want to be that person now, you can hit up Literati and get your copy. Oh, oh yeah, does I we we can plug more at the end of the show, but uh, I'm glad to hear that you can still buy it mm-hmm. from Literati. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You're right. So, I'm the here. I know I don't have it yet. <laughs> My bad. That's so, okay. So um, I guess the the last big kind of topic I want to broach here um, is how does how does the literature review relate? to the broader issues of the criminal justice system, right? Um, Obviously, like, you know, running a literature review where everyone who can submit is currently incarcerated, how has, how has that complicated things, right? Like, how has that made things, like, you know, more difficult than it should be? Like, what are kind of the ins and outs of, like, trying to run a literature review or even cozying from your perspective, how is it trying to like submit to a literature review while also dealing with MDOC, right? Like how do you kind of navigate these systems? Yeah, I mean, mail mail has been incredibly, incredibly slow this year. Um, 
And oh, you, you don't got to tell me. I got some David Foster Wallace in the mail that hasn't shown up in a month. <laughs> yeah, well, and then add another month for um, for the MDOC's um, right. policies for for uh, um, you know limiting the spread of COVID. Which, of course, the the policy that we needed was absolutely <laughs> let absolutely everybody go home that you possibly can let go home. I mean, mm-hmm. that's. That's what, and and now uh, putting prisoners like right at the front of the line for the fucking vaccine. Um, although some prisoners might have understandable like uh, paranoid feelings about that, given the history of uh, white experimentation on black captive populations. But even so, like they should be the head of the fucking line. Um, and and Gretchen Whitmer, um, you know, uh, sure I like her when I'm looking at a picture of her and Donald Trump. But when I'm right. thinking about what's happened, I mean, it's, it's a goddamn bloodbath. I mean, she should have let people go, and it mm-hmm. and it would have hurt her politically, and I accept that. But and and it's also one of those things that makes me remember the the primary um, and uh, th- that we could have had Abdul, who has been calling for mass releases yeah. this whole mm-hmm. fucking time. I mean, and and people told me there was no difference between them, and I was just being <laughs> a, a jackass for you know I was just being leftier than thou for supporting Abdul. Like that burns in my guts, quite frankly. <laughs> really and crazy. the roads aren't even fixed. The damn roads aren't fixed. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it's it's been rough. it's been rough this year. Like uh, mail's very slow, and uh, you know I got a really heartrending piece of mail from one of our regular contributors recently um this is another guy that you know i've written parole letters i've i i went to his resentencing hearings like i he's somebody we would let him sleep on our couch tomorrow if they they would just fucking let him go um and uh you know i got a pretty heartbreaking letter from this person and um i immediately wrote back knowing that like uh, and, and I had to make it as much of a business letter as, as possible because of the thing I talked about earlier, which already made me feel kind of inhuman. Um, but knowing that this letter that I'm writing very quickly, I, who knows when it's going to reach him, right? So, so that's, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is like very much on my mind. And, it, you know, I mean, just generally maintaining some sort of um, reasonably respectful working relationship with the DOC. I mean, it, it puts constraints on on what we can publish. Like somebody could have a really great hard-hitting expose of an essay documenting how their warden is corrupt. We could not publish that, that mm-hmm. piece. I, because not only the lit review, but I think PCAP in general would be out of every prisoner, uh, out of every prison in the state the right. next day. Um, so we, you know, we can't blow up our own spot in that way. Uh, yeah, and- I remember like <clears throat> Cozine had uh, Tom and I over to like put a um, like list of poems together, right? Um, to like be included in the book. And I remember like after we sent you and Ashley the Google link, um, I was getting emails from like comments from Ashley talking about like how this piece probably like can't actually be published because then it like won't be allowed into the prisons. There's, and, there's, like, there's how good of a piece it could like it just like yeah. you know MDOC is like gonna censor it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's like this. I think that's one of the things that um, that's one of those weird things that 
And so I'm, okay, so it's one of, I'll, I'll give it an example. I was talking to a friend about this last night. It's one of those things that to me is like this. And it's, so that makes it both good and bad. It's like when I'm fortunate enough to have someone like give me a positive accolade about how quickly I've done something or may have attained something since being home. And while I'll be maybe complaining or, or trying to be frustrated because there's something I want to do or attain or, or whatever, and folks would be like, yo, like, yes, you good, man. Like, you only been home three years, right? And it's kind of this thing where, like, you are a thing related to this asterisk that you can't really shake, right? So, and so it's, it's like, it's because, it, you, you know, I can't take away the fact that I was in prison for as long as I have, and it's affected me in my life and how I live and how I think and how I see and how I interpret the way it has, right? And so anything I do that is a success is going to have to, I don't know why I keep doing this with my hand, it's going to have to be, it's going to be seen from the context of where I've come from, of what's happened to me uh, and what I have to go through. And when dealing with thinking of the Liberty View and how it has to deal with the Department of Corrections, there, we have to adhere to certain things that we don't like. But because we recognize that if we, it's one of those things where it's like, you dance, um, oh, how do I say this? Uh, one of my friends had, had given me this example. I was complaining about something one time and he was like, I would tell him, he was like, man, I keep, I, like, I, I feel like I keep on tap dancing for these people, man. And I'm tired of tap dancing for these motherfuckers. Like I, I was at that point and he was like, bro, he's like, you're not tap dancing, my dude, you playing the fiddle. I was like, you genius. And he had been incarcerated. <laughs> we both had been incarcerated. So, we, so it was that kind of moment and I say that to say, that's kind of where you are when you're the lit review, right? Because you recognize that what you're allowing folks who are incarcerated to have access to is much more important than what restrictions you have to adhere to to make it continue, to make it be so. And you have, and you're dancing that all the time because, and you want to, at the top of everything, maintain your integrity. Because like Phil said, you're a literary review. And that's why, like Alex, like Alex was just making reference to, there's all these different things, all these different eyes we're looking at to make sure, okay, how far can we push this envelope, right? This thing is good. Okay, all right, what do you think about this? I think it might get through. Do you think so? And this other person, you know, would be Ashley, Phil, or someone else who has a uh, history to lip review, and, or may, maybe make reference to another piece that we got in three volumes ago, right? Or a letter that was had between this one MDOC official and, and the director that's, right? Like all these things are taken into consideration to make sure that we can maintain the integrity of being a literary review that isn't, that isn't controlled by the constraints that our writing base is controlled by. To make sure that they have this piece of freedom in this lit review, right? Even though we're all under these, this, like I said, all under this restriction of being involved somehow with the Department of Corrections. And it's tricky. It's tricky. And the thing I think to kind of make a positive out of negative, one of the things I think that gave me as much faith in the lit review as it did when I came home was recognizing how much of a struggle and constant topic of conversation this was for everybody. We were always thinking about this. That meant we were always trying to make sure we got anything through that we could, right? Like it was that the fact that it was always a thought to us let us know that we were always trying to make sure that it didn't restrict us, that we always were trying to figure out if something might be able to get by. Yeah, right. forcing right. us to be strategic. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, okay, that was kind of my, my little tangent. You're welcome. <laughs> that was good. I love how Cozine keeps saying really good shit and then being like, "I'm sorry about my tangents, guys." Because I, cause I know I, I, I lost where I started. I just started talking. <laughs> Brilliant.
just brilliant. Oh, stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What other audience was it? We were talking about the audience that is the editorial committee, what it does for those involved, like that. Because there were three yeah, different people. I, I think Alex, yeah, Alex the touched on that. Volunteers, the writers, um, and, and the journal itself. What are what are the roles of all of these things? That was. I feel like we've covered. I feel yeah. like we've, we've hit all the bases. I feel like we've, we've given you know a really in depth. Uh, you know, dive into the world of the lit review and, you know, what is a lit review? Can you be a lit review? All these, you know, very important questions um, that we've talked about here. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is, we're coming to a wrap here. You know, we, we've hit the burning questions. Um, if your burning question wasn't asked, um, I'm sorry I didn't think about it because I wrote the questions. Um, you know, uh did you guys happen to bring pieces to read we normally have well normally like yeah. a million million uh episodes look i got it right this time um <laughs> but yeah if we can get you guys to read some pieces that'd be great well well cozine's uh, cozine's looking for one and i'm gonna read real quickly something by patrick kinney um who uh he's he's another lit review heavy hitter he's He's been with us many years. Uh, he's good people. Uh, so this, this is from several issues ago. This is by Patrick Kinney. Uh, it's, and, and Ashley just reminded me uh, that he is just about to be released. Which nice. Nothing. Oh, my God. It's just like uh, angels in heaven rejoicing uh, every time somebody gets released. Uh, is my favorite part of of. of I was going to say my job, but this isn't my job. It's a, it's a thing I do on the side. Anyway, um, so it's called This Is Not. Um, I, I'm not a poet, so, by the way, so I don't really have a poetry reading voice like some people do. So uh, sorry if, that, if it sounds dumb. This is not a poem. It's not a sonnet. It's not a written piece of verse. It's not a prose inscription arranged poetically. It's not an essay of few words. It's just an origami handcuff key, no folding required. And okay, so origami handcuff key is the uh, yes. title of one of the volumes that you can. Yeah, yeah, the, the, we, we, we like that so much. We made that the title because like, how can you not, right? Um, that's, he just, he just handed us a title with that. And we got in trouble with the MDOC for that, by the way. <laughs> they, they would, we, we, I think we had to like make a phone call. Like, there are no instructions for origami handcuff keys. I in this book, I wouldn't know how to make that. I, you know, I don't think an origami handcuff key would work. To be honest, if I had those kinds of James Bond skills. I, I would be serving the movement for human liberation in ways other than being a journal editor. Let me just say it. I'll just say that. All right, Cozy, you got right, piece so ready for us. I got, I got so many pieces, but me, the problem is always trying to figure out which pieces to narrow it down to um, and what to highlight. Because uh, it's, um, it's always so much. So I'm just, what I'm going to do, oh, go ahead. Just so you know, probably I don't know which is gonna go, but usually we we do a poem at the beginning and a poem at the end. So okay. one of these poems is gonna like we're gonna you know or by we I mean myself I'm gonna edit things and move one of these poems like 
up top. So uh, Jason and I are going to record like an introduction at a later point where uh, we just kind of introduce the podcast and then it's going to cut into one of these poems and then it's going to cut into the interview and then it's going to cut into the other poem and then it's going to cut into the end. Uh, so you so mean it's a rich collage. Okay, so what I'm hearing from you then is that because you're going to be editing and picking that I don't have to just read one poem. I mean, for sake of time, uh, I would prefer to only read. You're going to edit. It's not live. Yeah, but I have time right here that I'm I'm spending. Um, and oh. I have other things to do today. Make it um, make it easy for him to edit. Okay. All right. I mean, if you want to read two poems, I'm not going to stop you. But yeah. I but, feel like you were just stopping me. That's what it felt like you were. Doing. I'm just saying, you know, two two poems right. is my max here. Okay. Okay. Two poems. Two poems. Perfect. Perfect. Two poems. I'm gonna choose two poems. I'm gonna choose them both from the, the Make It Easier from uh, our Greatest Hits, um, our Volume Ten. Uh, we call it Greatest Hits. It was the first ten volumes, first ten years. We've got plenty out afterwards, but I'm gonna hit this one up so that I can kind of spread across the different um, genres and visions I want the words to paint for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the the first I'm gonna read is called From Farm to Diamond by Kanari Giovanni. From farm to diamond. They left the land that gave three harvests for heavy sweat, a well that would divide between five brothers, give one claim of Friday and half Saturday water, and bend deeper to show bottom as sun swore to shine his power. They left by moonlight before cows utter call, curved set, buttermilk churn, clay stove burn, spice smell spread, shit cake lay on wall to sunbathe. They run from field plowing, skin darkening, shovels hanging, sugarcane standing, wheat crop swaying, cotton pot popping, bullet cart belt singing, their wooden wheels blowing dust, wet muddy peanuts and burlap sacks, uncertain rain dragging summer and cracking earth, drying ponds in search of better. They left sweet speech, swings on trees, Scenes of field, hips, walking, rhythms, balancing pots on head with child at waist. They left virgin, graceful village, family goddess and shack to polish and assort diamonds instead of sesame seeds. They run from pure, poor, leaning green, ended up feeding on greed. In cities, their heart turned concrete and mind money box. They book less white, cash more black to pay less tax. They stock more gold, wear more silk. They arouse the enemy, sharpen swords, kick belly open, grow into wolves, harvest blood river. They are my people who stand, cutthroat divided. They are my people searching for more. They are my people. I come from them. They are my people, and they won't like my pen. And I'll read the other, which is from one of my favorite writers in Lippy View history, Demetrius Buckley. He's got a series of poems called Letter to, Letters from Daddy. Um, so I'll pick a number seven, Letters from Daddy, seven. I never got the chance to tell stories of how I made you like how my father used to tell stories, the colorful kinds of how he made me, put me together in his laboratory. He would always begin in damp basement, him mixing chemical in flags, buns and burner of flame, boiling then, poof, there I was, a reflection of elements vibrating out of thin air. But as I grew more into the living, 
I began to heed the story, I, excuse me, as I, be, as I grew more into the living, I began to hear the story change, alter with each budding inch. Chemical meltdown in one or too much flame in another, but all the same configuration by his work, his adjustment. With you though, my love, it was much more different. Ingenious, I would say, refined, unique. I had no basement, no cylinder of flask to hold the chemical, no fire. You were made from particles that held the framework of worthiness and strife, lattice of blood and spirit spewing across quiet rivers like moonlight. Beautiful. The flame that shimmer in Mary's unborn mist that flick was a miraculous spark from an archangel sword weighing transgression on good and evil, similar to our struggle, our carnal appetite for iniquity. So, in many words, I live for you in every possible way to man, even when I'm not there with you. Later in life, you will evolve into woman, a flower men will kill to uproot and display in vases, your hips catching every stride, hooking onlet lookers, hypnotizing. Your first lover will be unavailable, translucent to what you give in the relationship. Don't let it change you. Hardened from clay that men grope into their liking, cast a bold body of unshakableness as you enter into womanhood. Your power, and if you so happen to track down that road, that dry, defying desert full of dooms and dungeons, then travel light. When out a week of winters, you're wearing sunglasses, head down in compartment stores, terrified of mirrors, understand that it will hurt more to leave, to lie to yourself saying you'll make it through those days, scratching down blackboards in classroom, you gave up all, realize that, and run somewhere, anywhere, to singe the pain, the thinking that a precious baby will bring him closer to the idea of marriage, see him for what he is, Protect yourself. Oh, I don't. I don't think my microphone's picking up um, snaps. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so the, the, this is the uh, part where uh, you guys plug uh, whatever you might want to plug: your Twitters, your social medias, your your places to find you, the things you do. Yeah, well, uh, my Twitter is at Phil underscore Christman. Uh, Christman is spelled like Christmas with an N where the S should be. Uh, and my website is, it's philipchristman.com and there's only one L. Uh, and my book, I mean, Alex already mentioned my book, so I don't, don't got to talk about that. Uh, you can buy <clears throat> it wherever books are sold. Midwest Futures. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't, th I don't think I have that, anything else to plug. If you're interested in um, joining the Lit Review after you've heard all this, um, probably the simplest thing to do is just Google my name and my U of M faculty thing will come up and you can email me from there and I'll add you to the, I'll add you to the list. We'll be meeting again starting in January. It's a Zoom thing. It'll be Tuesdays, Tuesday nights, pretty low pressure, pretty chill. This uh, will be going out in like February, so um, the the Zoom meetings will be in full swing by then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll be very active. Well, if this is going out in February, my second book probably comes out in November, uh, <laughs> if I hit my deadline. So that's called How to Be Normal. So it's also from Belt. 
you should, you should remember to, you should put a reminder in your calendar right now to buy that in November. Or yeah, it will also be wherever books are sold. Mm -hmm. uh, me, I don't, so I've been doing this kind of executive director thing for Brighter Ways, a nonprofit here in Washington County. Um, we provide mentorship as well as ancillary services to folks who return from prisons and jails in Washington County. Um, we've got a lot of great things been happening the last 10 months. We've got a RCF fellowship program, which is a, a program we've developed with the East Engage Office of Eastern Michigan University. And it equates to folks who come home from prisons and jails in Washington County that are in our program are gonna get tuition free two and four year degrees. And not just like tuition, you read, not just, oh, well, here, come to, come to school for free, but it's real like comprehensive. We have folks who are gonna help them with every stage of getting prepared for a collegiate experience. Um, because the thing is, like, if you're not going to succeed, then why bother? Um, so I'm really, like, really happy about that. We're also getting to the point where we're going to be reaching in. We've got a thing we're working out with the NBLC. We will be able to get in touch with folks at least 60 days before they come home to help them develop a real action plan so they can survive and then succeed when they come home. Um, so that's kind of what I've really been focusing on is getting that organization to a, a larger point. And we've been doing that. We've been blowing up the last... I won't say we've been going up, but we've made some really good strides the last 10 months. So check that out at brightaway.org. Um, I would encourage folks to donate to us because that's how nonprofits work. <laughs> right? That's how nonprofits work. Um, people donate to us and then we take those funds and continue to provide the services that we do. Um, and one of those services that I really want to get started is a way to kind of solve that problem that we have with the lit review and that is not being able to publish stuff because of that MDOC censorship. Like I want the brighter way to develop a program where we're gonna start publishing stuff from folks who are incarcerated so that we can kind of get that voice that may not be able to be heard because of the censorship from the MDOC. So donating to, to us, we're helping developing that program. So if you like, uh, if you like what we're doing here, just you can go ahead and hit that donate button <laughs> as the, uh, right. the commercials say, hit the donate button. But no, but seriously though, uh, that's kind of what my focus has been. I'm, I'm trying to get back into writing myself, but I don't have anything coming out, anything to speak of. Um, I would just encourage folks to continue to support the Lit Review, also support Michigan Crowley Review, which also publishes work from folks who are formerly mm -hmm. incarcerated or incarcerated. Um, and just keep doing it, keep putting pressures on your publishers and other folks to, to, that you want to hear the voice of those who are currently and formerly incarcerated. Mm -hmm. you know, if, you, if there is an interest, one thing we have to realize is that we're in a place of capitalism. Use your capital to benefit. You know, mm -hmm. make those people who you give your money to accountable to whether or not they get accountable to you because the, you give them your money. Tell them you want to hear more from folks in, in prison and they will adhere to it. Uh, yeah, that's all I got, man. Stay, be well when you can, be of help. Real talk. And you can buy the Lit Review um, at Literati in Ann Arbor. Um, if you are not in Ann Arbor or the Michigan area, um, don't worry because they do ship uh, nationwide. You can just Google Literati Ann Arbor and you'll find their website. Um, you can also, we'll provide a link to it, but you can also just download a form and mail it to the University of Michigan and like, mm -hmm. you know, put money in the, uh, you know, envelope and they'll send you a copy of the Lit Review back of your choosing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a couple different ways to buy the Lit Review. Um, I suppose you could also just, you know, go out into the streets and just ask people if they have copies and when they say no you can say well you should have a copy and <laughs> you have a copy what's already? wrong with you um yeah you know where's you your know, copy you, use some peer pressure to uh yeah. get the lit review you know out there 
Um, yeah, but, be creative. Print out, print out stuff to pass around. Put the link on like a piece of paper like a hundred times and cut it up and pass it to folks. And say, you should go sandwich boards, wheat paste. Well, <laughs> I was going to say put it up in your local coffee shop, but I don't know. Yeah. Right? We're going to coffee oh, shops right now. So. Maybe by February. I mean, yeah, who's, maybe, who's hoping? Yeah. I hope you guys in the future are having a better time than we are. <laughs> than we are here in December of 2020. Um, yeah. It's going to be funny because I like I might not edit this until the last week of January, and then like I'll know whether or not things are going to be better by February. <laughs> I'll be listening back and I'm like, oh, Narrator, man. they were not. They were not. <laughs> Future but, Alex shakes his head. <laughs> here, here's hoping future Alex will be having a better time than current Alex. Yeah. Uh, we you love all. you, future Alex and future Jason. Hi, this is Alex from February of 2021. Um, you already know how the world is doing after we recorded this, so I won't get into that. <laughs> Anyways, the Knights Library podcast is hosted by myself, Alex Nuttle, and Jason B. Crawford. This episode was edited by myself, and I am still Alex Nuttle. Special thank you to Cozine Welch and Philip Chrisman for being on our uh, second episode. We cannot thank you enough. Our theme song is I Love the Way You Sit Still 79 by the all-powerful MC Rota. And the song you're hearing now is Vaguely European, also by the all-powerful MC Rota. Also, there's a bumper song somewhere in this episode um, called Distorto Kid. Also, once again, by the all-powerful MC Roto. We really cannot thank him enough for all the music he's contributed to this uh, podcast. We'll have a new episode out in March, and our guest will be the all-powerful MC Roto because he, he's just so powerful. We had to, you know, we had to interview him. So we will see you then. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you next time. <laughs>